Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Let me remind you again, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, but next Sunday morning we are kicking off our fall together. We're calling it Welcome Home, and that's our theme this fall, all the way in through the holiday season this year. Uh, we're going to be working on the theme Welcome Home, and we hope that you will be here. We look forward to welcoming you home here to Faith Christian, helping you w- welcome you home into a relationship with our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. And we hope that uh, we can help, you, help welcome you home in one of those ways this uh, fall, and that kicks off next week. So we hope that you'll be here. Uh, we also uh, mentioned a couple weeks ago, but I want to remind you that next Sunday morning we are going to be uh, hosting a couple of young leaders who will be here uh, spending the weekend with us. Uh, this, is called, uh, this young couple, Kara and Noah Rose, uh, who we have been communicating with the last several months about the possibility of joining our staff. Uh, they will be here to interview with our leadership. They will also be leading in our kids' ministry stuff tomorrow, uh, next Sunday morning, our student ministry stuff next Sunday evening, uh, which is when we're kicking off our, our fall uh, Sunday night youth group for our middle school and high school students. Uh, Noah and Carol will be here next weekend, uh, we, but we want them to see us and see what we're like and get to know them a little bit more and see if they and the tools they have and the abilities they have are a fit for our congregation and for our team and for our staff. But we hope that you'll be here to meet them, especially if you have kids. If you've got uh, children at your house, you've got students, middle school, high school students in your house, we hope that they will be here next week so they can meet Noah and Kara and we can get, kind of get to begin this process of getting to know each other a little bit as we make decisions about whether uh, th- that we can have them join our staff or not. So we hope that uh, you'll be here uh, to participate in that with us next weekend. Let's, uh, as we get started today, let me just play a little game with you. I like to do this every now and then. Just a little game. This is a game my, uh, my nine-year-old loves to play with her friends. The game is called Would You Rather? I'm going to give you two options. We'll do it a couple times, but two options. Would you rather do A or B? That's kind of how this works. So the first one's pretty easy. Would you rather sit in one of those stupid metal folding chairs like we have in the rack out there, or would you rather sit in the biggest, fluffiest, comfiest, lazy boy you've ever seen in your life? Go ahead. You don't have to answer out loud. I I think I know the answer, right? That's how this game's played. Would you rather? All right, here's the next one. Would you rather wear your favorite pair of broken-in shoes or those stupid rental shoes you get when you get married and you have to rent a tux and they get those nice patent shoes that no one's ever worn they're not broken in? Which pair of shoes would you rather wear? Think about it. It's a tough one, I know. It's a, it's a tough All right, last one. Would you, rather, would you rather sleep on a Tempur-Pedic mattress or on a bed of nails? Take your time. It, it's a hard one, I know. Okay, all right, I know. These are all pretty loaded questions, aren't they? Those are all pretty easy. But they all have a common denominator, and which is kind of what I want to talk about today. I'm going to talk about the word comfort. Comfort, yes. Your favorite shoes are more comfortable than the rental tuxedo shoes. Your Tempur-Pedic mattress is more comfortable than a bed of nails. We live in a world, a society, a culture that places a pretty high value on comfort. I get that. I'm the same way. That's one of the reasons that the last 18 months has been such a struggle for us. Masks are uncomfortable. Uh, Not going and doing some of the things that we love to go and do, that makes us uncomfortable. There's a lot of money to be made on products that enhance people's comfort. Comfort, Memory foam, foam for your bed. Lazy boys for your living room. Body pillows. Those things called Snuggies are somehow are still a thing. 
Yes, I've been on a quest for the last year to find the world's most comfortable pair of pants. I've not found them yet, but I'll let you know when I get there. I've been looking for the comfortable pants. We love comfort, and we should. It makes sense. It's natural. But we need to be aware there's a danger in loving comfort too much. And more than just the danger of, you know, if you just sit around a lazy boy and eat, you gain the extra pounds. There's more danger than that. As we've continued to put more and more of an emphasis on being comfortable, the idea of comfort has, has leaked its way into every part of our lives. We want our careers to be comfortable. We want our homes to be comfortable. We want our chairs to be comfortable. And as Christians, we even want our spiritual lives to be comfortable. We've become accustomed to comfort. And so as followers of Jesus, we even look for comfort as we in engage our spiritual selves. We come to our buildings, our comfortable church buildings that are warm in the winter and air-conditioned in the summer. Our chairs are padded for your comfort. Our Bibles mostly are even have soft leather on them, which is comfortable when you hold them in our hands. And before you know it, it's not just the chairs that are padded. If we're not careful, careful, the messages get padded with easy teaching. Doctrine becomes lifeless and leathery, and eventually the message of the Messiah becomes moral code mush instead of the life-giving, life-changing message of Jesus. So when we come to a verse like Luke 9, verse 23, where Jesus says this, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, Take up his cross daily and follow me. That doesn't sound very comfortable, does it? So what do comfort-craving Christians, comfort-craving society, what do we do with something as uncomfortable as the cross? I mean, it's pretty hard to avoid the cross when you're a Christian, right? It's kind of the center of everything that we do. What can you do with a phrase like, Take up your cross. Well, here's what I've noticed. Eventually, if we're not paying attention, this happens very subtly at first, but eventually, if we're not paying attention, we will even find a way to make the cross comfortable. We, we create a comfortable idea of the cross and what it means for us today to take up our crosses. And so we begin to use a phrase like, well, you know, we all have our crosses to bear. That phrase gets thrown around loosely, referring to even the most minor, menial, everyday tasks or inconveniences or discomforts. And the cross gets pushed to the back of our sermons, the back of our thinking. And even though we use the cross for, for decoration, it's on our churches. It's on our signs, it's on our t-shirts, we wear it around our necks. We end up with what I'm referring to today is a comfortable cross. But what else are we supposed to do, right? The cross, that, that's a tough sell. That's not easy, that's not comfortable. I mean, it's bad enough that Jesus had to die on the cross, but why did he have to go and insist that we all end up carrying our own crosses? Isn't that the kind of thing that's kind of ruining Christianity's hope for decent public relations? Isn't that just, doesn't the cross kind of hinder our ability to recruit new people? 
You're supposed to put your best foot forward, right? You're supposed to make the sell. We, we, don't want the, we want more people to come to Jesus, don't we? I mean, that's why we're here. That's supposed to be the point, isn't it? Having more people come to Jesus. So we try our best to make Christianity, to make the church sound as appealing and easy as possible. But what have we sacrificed in return? Sometimes in an effort to get as many people as possible to follow Jesus or to join our churches, I've done this. I'll confess to you. I've done, I have great intentions. But I've made following Jesus sound attractive, easy, appealing as possible, comfortable as possible. And so it's easy to talk about things like unconditional joy and a peace that passes understanding and the grace and the mercy that frees us from all of our guilt and shame. And listen, those things are true. Those things are important. And we need to talk about those things. We need to speak of them often. But I realize that at times I've been guilty of selling Jesus by emphasizing only the parts of Jesus that I thought people would like. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. Let's imagine that one of my daughters grows up and she goes off to college. She gets her degree. She gets her master's degree. Maybe she gets her doctorate. So she's in college for another, you know, 15 years or so. She starts her career. And after many, many more years of being in a career, she comes to the place where she finally decides she wants to be married. I think that's probably about 25 years or so after high school. That'd be about time for my daughters to get married. I'm good with that. So let's decide they want to get married. One of them wants to get married. And just what she really wants to do. She wants to get married. So I decide I'm going to help this process along to get my daughter married. So I take out an ad in the local newspaper. And I put, put a posting up on Facebook Marketplace. And I, I, I pay for a billboard right along I-77 with her picture on it. And I create a website so people will come and click on it. And I print up t-shirts, all begging someone, anyone, someone to come and choose my daughter. <laughs> Wouldn't that cheapen who she is? Wouldn't that make it seem like they, if they chose her, they were doing her a favor? Now, I would never do that. If you want to date one of my daughters, you better come with everything you got or I'll send you a packet. All right, that's a whole other story. In 1 Corinthians... Chapter 1, Paul talks about how the world sees the cross. He says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now back in the first century, Paul's original audience, the cross was the ultimate symbol of of weakness. We don't see the cross like that anymore. We see it as a religious symbol, but in the first century, the cross was the ultimate symbol of weakness. For many, then and now, the message of the gospel that God put on skin, that God was crucified, is complete foolishness. I love Paul's word there in, in, in that verse. Foolishness. It's foolishness. I mean, why would God use a symbol of torture, a symbol of death, a symbol of weakness to save the world? I, I suppose the idea of the cross seems more appealing to us today because the cross is no longer used to execute people. And so we've dressed it up and we put it on jewelry and on t-shirts and on, we hang it on our walls. We're used to seeing a cross as an ornament in our homes or on ourselves or on our tattoos, on our decoration or a piece of jewelry. But if a first century Jew were to walk in here 
and see a cross hanging from the wall of our building, they would think we were sick, like in the head. They would think we were messed up. Imagine people today walking around with a, like a guillotine hanging around their neck or, or an electric chair earrings. That would just be weird, wouldn't it? For the Jews, the cross meant weakness because it was a place of torture. It was a place of execution. And I think that was God's point. That's what makes the cross so beautiful. It's because it's from the weakness that God brings the strength. <clears throat> God takes from the, the, what is from a, from a human perspective is a foolish thing. And he chooses that foolish thing that has no glory, carries no honor. He finds the least likely symbol for love and for life. And he says, I'll use that. That's what I'll use. God takes what the world says is foolish, what is demeaning, what is shameful, and God says, watch this. And he turns it into the power of salvation. 1 Corinthians 18 that we just read says that he turns the foolishness of the cross into the power of salvation. Look what else he says in that chapter. He says, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And uh, would you read this last part of this verse out loud with me? Read this with me. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Who else but God could take a cross that represented defeat and turn it into a symbol of victory? Who else but God could take a cross that represented guilt and turn it into a symbol for grace? Who else but God could take a cross that represented condemnation and turn it into a symbol for freedom? Who else but God could take a cross that represented pain and suffering and turn it into a symbol of healing and hope? Who else but God could take a cross that represented death and turn it into a symbol of life? No one else could, but God can. And what seems like the ultimate moment of God's weakness was in reality the ultimate moment of God's strength. And here's why that matters. Here's what I don't want you to miss. On this Labor Day weekend, if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. This is my one point. This is my big, my sermon in a sentence for you today. What God did for the cross God can do for you. What God did for the cross, God can do for you. That when you are the weakest, you are exactly where you need to be for God to be the strongest. The upside-down truth of the cross is that when you are weak, you are strong. Look at verse 27 later in that same chapter. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. It's not that God used the cross in spite of its weakness. 
God chose the cross because of its weakness. Paul says that God chooses the weak things. And we see this all throughout Scripture. God continually chooses the weak over the strong. Let me show you some examples of that from Scripture. Just listen to these. For instance, Abraham in the Old Testament, he, he was too old to do what God asked him to do. But through his weakness, God's strength prevails. Jacob was insecure. Leah was ugly. Joseph was humiliated. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson was proud. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was disobedient. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist was a hippie. Peter was impulsive and very hot-tempered. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Zacchaeus was unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had poor health. And Timothy was timid. The Bible is a long, long list of imperfect misfits, kind of like the island of misfit toys, who discovered that weakness was a strength. So God, God, do for us what you did for the cross. Though it seems backwards to us, God teaches us that when we think we're strong, we're, we're really weak. But when we acknowledge our weakness and humble ourselves before the Lord, we put ourselves in a position to receive God's strength, and he can be stronger. Paul talks more about this over in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 12, verse 9. He says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Nobody does that, do they? I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. For when I am weak, <laughs> then then I am strong. Paul says, I delight in my weakness. I brag about my weaknesses because when I'm weak, then I'm strong because God's power's in me. Now, I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone who delights in their weaknesses. <clears throat> Matter of fact, most of us go to great lengths to disguise our weaknesses. For instance, let's say you have a job interview. In every job interview, they're going to ask you this one really, really, I hate the question. But you're going to get asked this question to any job. We're going to ask this question next weekend to no one care. I know we will. The question is, what is your greatest weakness? That's a horrible question, isn't it? What is your great? How do you answer that? Your greatest weakness? Well, I'll tell you what you don't want to do in a job interview. You don't want to tell them your weaknesses, right? Because you want them to think you're great. So because if, if you do tell them your weaknesses, they're not going to hire you, and you want the job. So you don't say, what are your greatest weaknesses? Well... I'm never on time. I, I'm, I'm not good at clocks. Um, I constantly procrastinate. Um, I have trouble getting along with coworkers. That's a, that's a pretty big weakness. Um, I'm not really sure how to turn on a computer. You, you don't say things like that in a job interview, do you? What's your greatest weakness? You gotta say something, right? So what do you say? You try to come up with a weakness that sounds like a strength, don't you? <clears throat> well, I can be a bit of a perfectionist. You see how that works? So it sounds like you're, you're always striving for perfection, for, for perfection, but that's, you know, maybe sometimes it gets out of line. Or you tend to say, I, sometimes I'm a bit of a workaholic. <laughs> that sounds good, right? That's a, that's a weakness that sounds good. Why do we do that? Because in our world, in our economy, in our way of thinking, weakness isn't strength. Strength is strength. That's why every year in this country, Every single year, this goes back for at least a decade now, there are at least 2,000 self-help books published, new ones published every year, with one message 
You can do it. You can do it. You have what it takes. You can do it. You can self. Look deep. Find the strength within yourself. At least 2,000 new self-help books published every year in our country. But Paul says strength comes when we realize our weaknesses. I remember when my children were, were toddlers. They, they both did this. Caroline, the youngest, was, was even worse at it than Molly. But when they were little, like, you know, two years old, 18 months old, little, little people just beginning to move and walk and things like that, as, they, as, as children become more and more independent, they, they want to do things for themselves. And, and you get that. As a parent, you understand that. You want them to learn to do things like eating by themselves. You want them to learn to put food on the fork, but sometimes you're in a hurry, so you're like, let, dad, let daddy give you bites. Let daddy give you bites. And you put the food on the fork for them. And Caroline, again, Caroline was the worst. She did this, she made this sound anytime you try to do something that she wanted to do. She'd go, ah! Ah! I do it! I do it! Ah! That's, that's, I don't know why she did it. Ah! Okay, she's part pterodactyl. I don't know. Ah! I do it! I do it! And whether it was something as, as, as like putting on a shoe or getting the sweater on or putting the toys in the basket after she was done playing or putting something in the trash can or walking up the stairs. That was a big one for Caroline. Walking up the stairs. Here, honey, let Daddy help you. Ah, I do it. I do it. Now, there's, again, there's a part of that as a parent. You want them. You, I'm glad that she's nine now. I'm glad she knows how to walk up the stairs by herself. I don't have to carry her up the stairs anymore. I'm glad for that. You want to let them do that. You want to help them learn. But sometimes you know because you're a responsible adult, sometimes you know they just can't do that yet. But when you try to help, ah, I do it, ah, because she wants to do it herself. Now again, Caroline was the worst at this. She's by far the most stubborn of my children. I don't have no idea where she got that from. <laughs> but there would come a moment, there would come a moment where she just couldn't do what she wanted to do. And she would get frustrated. Ah! Ah! She would get frustrated with herself because she wasn't able to get the shoe on her foot or get the food on the, get the bite on the fork or get up the steps. She couldn't accomplish what she wanted to accomplish. And I've been telling her, let daddy help, let daddy help. Ah! I do it! And her frustration would grow and grow and grow until finally, finally, she would come to me and say, Daddy! Daddy! And do you know what I would do? Do you know what I would do in that moment? When that sweet little two-year-old with those big blue eyes would look up at me and say, Daddy! I would say, Ha-ha, sucker! I told you you couldn't do that! <laughs> no, of course I didn't do that. But what did I do? I would pick her up. And suddenly, my strength became her strength and I would carry her up the stairs or I would give her the bites or I would put the shoe on her foot she thinks she can do it herself but she comes to a moment where she just can't she's just not strong enough She's just weak. She needs someone else's strength to accomplish what needs to be done. There's a lesson here for all of us. Do you hear it? As much as I fight it, as much as I'm not going to tell it in a job interview, I need to admit my weakness. I want to ask God to show his strength in my life. 
to do for me what he did for the cross. It, it, it's part of my pride that I want to carry my own load. I made this mess, I'll clean it up. It's part of my, my ego that doesn't want to admit my weaknesses. But the cross makes it clear that when I am weak, he is strong. And that's a, that, that's a test for us as we follow Jesus. Will you, like Christ did before us, will you trust God enough to let your weakness be his strength? Because it's when we let go, when we turn loose of our need for comfort, our need to be in control, our need to glory in our own strengths, our need to pad our ego with our own accomplishments or our paychecks or our trophies or our co-worker's approval or whatever it is that keeps you from abandoning a comfortable version of the cross, it's then. It's then that God does in our lives what he did in Christ's death. It's then that God does in our hearts what God did for the cross. Pray with me. God, would you do for us what you did for the cross? Do for me. Do for this church. Do for Tuscarawas County. Do for, for our nation. Do for this world what you did for the cross that we might begin to understand why you chose such, such an uncomfortable means of self-sacrifice. Do for us what you did for the cross. Turn our weakness into your strength.